0: Well, his writing career started out uh, by collaborating with Tom Clancy on a book called Red Storm Rising. Um, I'm sure all of you uh, have read that book. Uh, came out in the 80s, and it was a New York Times bestseller. Uh, Red Storm Rising depicted a uh, hypothetical conflict between NATO and the Warsaw Pact, um, which was drawn heavily on expert analysis of, uh, of what this type of conflict would be, and uh, it's also been used uh, Uh, Red Storm Rising was also used uh, and is currently used at the Naval War War College. Um, Well, this guy, uh, you know, this guy's got a lot under his belt now. He's got, boy, over 30 books now under his belt. And uh, I want to give a look out to Tom Clancy and Clive Cussler. You guys better watch out. (laughs) I'm talking, of of course, I'm talking with uh, one of the hottest techno thriller military fiction writers of today, Larry Bond. How the heck are you, bud?
1: Hi, Greg. I am doing great. Thank you for those kind words. Oh,
0: no. It's it's all good, man. It's all true. It's all true. Um, well, this is Greg Grasso. Uh, we're at KISU 91.1 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Idaho State University. And if you guys haven't figured it out, uh, Larry Bond is uh, uh, probably one of the uh, most expert um, uh, techno-military thriller writers of today. And so, uh, Larry, I want to ask you... Um, we were talking uh, off air uh, a couple minutes ago about your first book um, with Clancy, Red Storm Rising. And uh, I just want to give, uh, give the folks a snapshot. Um, so give me a little taste on how that happened. How did you guys get together? Why the heck did Clancy call you? What's so good about you, buddy? <laughs> huh? What do you know? What do you know? Greg,
1: I have to tell you, it's dumb luck heavy on the dumb. <laughs> um, I, I, I wrote a war game. I've been playing war games since my uncle sent me a copy of Africa Corps when I was eight years old. And I wrote a war game about modern naval warfare, because I was in the Navy at that point. I said, there's nothing out there like that. So I wrote this game called Harpoon. And literally pushing little miniature ships around on a table. But they were modern ships, so you had to worry about things like sonar and radar and cruise missiles and electronic countermeasures. Mm. And nobody... Outside of guys who are in the business understand that stuff, and strangely enough, there are a lot of guys in the Navy who don't really get a, chance, a lot of chance to practice this stuff. Mm-hmm. so I wrote a game that was explained a lot of this stuff and at the same time was very easy to play because as smart as naval officers are, they're not gamers, and you know they just don't don't understand the nomenclature. so it was simple and easy to read and this insurance agent out in uh, rural Maryland who was working on his first novel, bought a copy of it as an information source. Now, his name was Tom Clancy, (laughs) and he wrote a letter to me with some questions about modern naval warfare, because I had a note in the front saying, you know, hey, I love to talk about this. I try and answer my mail. So he wrote me a letter, and I wrote back, and then he started calling on the phone, and we chatted, and we became good friends. Uh, I'm godfather to Tom's number three child, Tommy. And, uh, you know, we've been friends forever, it seems like. Anyways, uh, when it came time for Tom to think about doing a second book, I was working on this big, complicated war game called Convoy 85. I won't bore you with all the the gory details, but it looked at getting reinforcements over to Europe if the Russians ever decided to attack Mm -hmm. NATO. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of very, very smart people who were working on this problem, and I decided to look at it by... writing a war game about it. I'm describing the complexities of it to Tom, and Tom says, that would make a good book, Larry. Mm -hmm. Mm Want to write it with me? I went, let me think about this. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And and, uh, we then proceeded to plot it out together, and then I served as Tom's apprentice, Mm. basically while Tom wrote it. And I got to watch Tom Clancy put a book together, fix it when it wasn't working right, Polish it till it was shiny and smooth, and then kick it out the door. And frankly, that's that's as good as it gets.
0: Yeah, I I would imagine. I would imagine. (laughs) Jesus. Well, you know, look at look at you and I are over fifty. Okay, we remember uh, what the fifties and sixties were like. We remember the Cold War. We we remember the Soviet Union when they were very very strong. You know, there was a lot going on in '55. Um, You know, Korea uh coming home after that and then we've got this uh we've got this soviet threat well we still have a soviet threat to a, to a certain extent don't we
1: I think the uh, the russians are not the big bad they were in the 80s but they're definitely still there they are our adversary yes as, as you know, they're certainly our rival. Yes. Whether they choose to be our adversary or not depends on their foreign policy, and I'm not sure which wave Vladimir's jumping the to, uh, the today.
0: Well, he's doing a lot of push ups lately, hasn't he?
1: <laughs> oh, he's got his shirt off again?
0: He's got his shirt off again, Larry, I tell you what, every time I turn around. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry for going off kilter here, but um, okay, So so Clancy. Clancy saw, Clancy and you saw this possible scenario, okay, right? Yeah. Okay, you're writing about it, and, um, you know, it It makes sense to me, okay? Uh, it, it, what I like about your work, Larry, is all your stuff is, is plausible, okay? It's not way out there, you know? Um, the good guys, you know. Are, are, are pretty pretty true to good guys. Bad guys are pretty true to bad guys. So after after um, Red Storm Rising, and after your relationship with Clancy, did was he the most? Was he the one instrumental person in your life that actually revved you up and got you going, or did you have this desire, uh, this interest before?
1: Well, as a reader and, and uh, a big fan of, of all kinds of fiction and, and uh, non-fiction books, I toyed with the idea of writing a book sometime in my life. Hmm. I was, while I, my, most, my last uh, assignment while I was in the Navy was at a place called Center for Naval Analysis. Mm-hmm. Because after I wrote the game, my, my skipper said, you know what, you need to go someplace where you can put these skills to use. So we the Center for Naval Analysis, uh it's a it's a they think deep thoughts for the Navy. Uh it's the kind of thing where they'll say, How many aircraft carriers will we need in twenty years? Show your work. Mm-hmm. And then you do this. So I was used to writing technical nonfiction, uh very detailed analyses and this type of stuff. Um and maybe someday I'll write about some historical battle during World War Two or some current defense issue. Tom was the one who showed me how much fun writing fiction was, hmm. and and after we had parted ways and he went on to do do the next book, and I'm casting about it, I'm going, you know what, this is a lot of fun. I want to do this some more. Hmm. And uh, the, the big thing, which is not really apparent to a lot of people, is that w- along with watching Tom Clancy work and learning from him, I inherited Tom's agent. Oh. Now, now... Mr. Robert Gottlieb, who was then mm-hmm. at William Morris Agency, uh, was was a pretty heavy hitter before he acquired Tom Clancy, and after that, uh, when I submitted my first book proposal, which became Red Phoenix, right. uh, it did not go into the slush pile. It was bid on <laughs> by all the major houses, mm. and you know, after they finished giving me oxygen, I found <laughs> out the Warner Books had won, and. Uh, I ended up in a, in a partnership with them. I'm very pleased with, uh, with the work I did with them, and my editor was, was outstanding. So it was, uh, you know, I've just been peddling, peddling like crazy trying to keep up.
0: Boy, I guess. Um, how many books are you into now?
1: Well, it's, uh, <laughs> I did five with Warner Books, Jeez. and then I switched over to Tor Books, and uh, I've done two four book series with one fellow named Jim DeFelice and we're casting about for another series. I mean, the latest, Red Dragon Rising, is number three of the second four-book series. The fourth book has been done, and they haven't announced the publication date yet. Hmm. I'm working on this other book series with Chris Carlson, um, and the third one of that exit plan is due out in April. Hint, hint, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> but uh, that's sort of like... We, uh, and that, that one's uh the hero's a sort of like Horatio Hornblower, but instead of being on a sailing ship it's a nuclear submarine yeah and so we're watching him as he he grows through his through different ranks so I've always got two different book projects cooking a bunch of war games because I haven't stopped writing the war games really uh, it keeps me current hmm. uh, sometimes the the information that serves uh one Book also helps with another. Mm -hmm. For instance, at the same time that I was writing uh, Exit Plan with Chris Carlson, uh, I can I can because it's so close to publication. I can now say that yes, it's it's about uh, Jerry Mitchell, the hero, gets stuck in Iran on on the Iranian coast along with a couple of spies who we were supposed to be rescuing. You call this a rescue? And a bunch of SEALs, and they have to get it back into the water somehow and get back to the submarine. Well, I took all that research that I did about Iran's bomb program and everything else, and Chris and I wrote a game called Persian Incursion, mm. which looks at the political consequences of Israel attacking Iran. So I guess I just believe in recycling. It was a chance to do more than one fun thing with all
0: that research. Well, we've got a problem with Iran and Israel today, don't we?
1: Oh, yeah. You know,
0: Larry, uh you you're my age. Uh, we grew up through all this stuff, you know. I um I remember the Kennedy years. Uh, I was a young man. Um idolized a uh, uh uncle of mine who uh, served 6 tours in Vietnam, actually. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um Frank Mariano and uh he was a helicopter pilot and he ended up becoming a uh, Uh, bureau chief of abc news and he was the one reporting every night on the dm at the dmz and so uh uncle frank would come home during his uh tours and and just you know feed us with this stuff i that's when i really started becoming interested and that's why i joined the cbs in the early 70s and blah 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 Mm. um but how does – okay, so so you've got Angels of Wrath, Fires of War, uh, Soul of Assassin with the Fleece, right? And then uh, Red, Drag- yeah. Red Dragon Rising. Now, I got to tell you, I opened up Red Dragon Rising, Shock of War, um, folks. And um, I'm looking through the first couple of pages, okay? And I'm, hey, this is pretty cool, you know? And what's this thing on global warming? You know, you got a little paragraph here from uh, – from the International Society of Environmental Sciences, and then I open up to February 2014, and you've got some crude. You've got crude oil. You've got corn, wheat, and rice pricing here. And man, when I looked at this chart, I, I gulped because I'm seeing signs of this happening uh, now. <laughs> what is on the horizon, Larry? I mean, uh, this. You know, this. These books are are. Uh, Inspiring, but they're also pertinent to what's going on today.
1: Well, well, thank you. That's exactly what we want them to do, Greg. I mean, the, the whole shtick. The, I mean, every genre has its rules, mm-hmm. and the rules for a military thriller are: you're allowed, you take the current situation, mm-hmm. and and you get to make a tweak somewhere in the prologue or chapter one, mm-hmm. and after that, you imagine what could happen, and as you said, make it plausible, make it believable, mm-hmm. and just see where it takes you. And I've done that with Korea. I've done that with uh, South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, now in Iran. Uh, We've got other things going on. There's, there's no lack of places where there's a lot of tension, and this is a chance to sort of see what would happen. Thankfully, they've all stayed hypothetical. I would really like that if, if that worked out that way.
0: <laughs> well... I don't know, man. Uh, I see. Well, you know what? I got to go back on that. I, I was going to say I see. I see some bad crap coming down the road here. But, you know, I've seen. I've seen the United States and the government, and the armed services, uh, do some remarkable things over the past ten, ten years, twenty years. Uh, technology surely uh, plays a, a part in all of this uh, intelligence gathering and. Uh, uh, you know just the overall picture of uh, of infiltration so um you're you, you know you 're writing about seals uh are actually exit plan your 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 book that is coming out in two months exit plan you know why'd you put him with seals? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first thing they're going to do is drag his rear end in the water, man. And this guy, I don't think he likes deep sea.
1: <laughs> well, he, he, Jerry, Jerry, if you read the first two books, you find out that he's actually a diver, so he's not totally, you know, at pardon the expression, at sea with these guys. Well, but the, I, you know, I'm you not know what giving I mean. anything away when I say that early in the book, like chapter uh, whatever um, four, <laughs> there. Are, they're on a mini sub. They're going to go in and get out the, these these Iranians, and there's a battery fire. Yeah, and they lose somebody, and the rest of the guys have to swim for the beach.
0: Yeah,
1: and and in the first two books, Jerry was on a submarine, uh, different submarine in each book, and did useful things and you know saved the day. And then and then I said to well, him, you know, what, we got to get Jerry outside his comfort zone. He's too good on submarines. What happens if we put him on foot? Yeah. On shore, yeah. and and now he's got to function in a very different environment. Now you now you were in the Seabees. What I, time? What, what what was your what was your time? For you?
0: I I was in the CB seventy three to seventy six. I oh, ended ah. I ended up on Diego Garcia.
1: Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, to hear I know. That. Thank
0: you very much. Um, yeah, Diego was wonderful. We got to watch the Russian trawlers off the horizon every day. Listeners, just... I have
1: to tell you, I was in the fleet during that same time that Greg was. Yeah. And ship, ships would come to Diego Garcia, and the guys from Diego Garcia would come aboard our the ship for liberty. Yes. Okay. That's yes. how bad it was at Diego.
0: That's right. That's right, Larry. Uh, it's uh, 37 miles tip to tip. Uh, it's got a natural lagoon where these white tips sharks, and uh, these small white tip tar- sharks, about four or five feet. And these stingrays <laughs> hang out. And um uh, yeah, there's nothing to do on the freaking island. There's rats. There's there's I swear to God, there's red crabs that live in these freaking palm trees, and they just drop down. You know, I mean, it's it was horrible.
1: <laughs> it was freaking horrible. You well, know, the, the island was uninhabited until until the navy decided it would make a good base. Well, well there the,
0: should have been a hit there. Well, no, the British owned it for a while, and they did some plantation farming, <laughs> but that didn't work out. And no. I, th- I think we leased it from the British government at the time. Time. And we yeah. had the Chinese there. They were dredging out the bay to, to you know, uh, receive the ships and whatever. But, no, man, that duty was insane. Um, uh, we were, uh, yeah, we had a bunch of Seabees and Marines, doctors, uh, nurses. Well, now,
1: the reason why I brought that up was because the Seabees, back when I was – in the fleet, the yes. Seabees were the only ones that I ever saw walking around in camis, you know, because they were expected to, like, go on land, and they might even actually get shot at. And this this was, we, we admired the Seabees, because they were definitely, I mean, the average sailor's not used to a lot of personal violence, at least it used to be that way. I think they're getting more small arms training now. Than sure, they used to. sure. And everybody has to wear camis, so they look cool. But, <laughs> you know, there was a very sharp divide doctrinally between most sailors, naval yeah. officers such as myself. And the seals who we basically thought were insane yes we would see these guys i, I, I took my my surface I went to surface warfare school at mm. Coronado California sure. which is where the seals trained love it and we would see these guys carrying telephone poles around right. attacking each other with axes I mean, just <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff and we thought they were nuts yes and we also were glad they were on our side You're done okay
0: right.
1: You're done right. and and that personal exposure you know but, but they're a very mysterious. They're a very closed community. They like it that way. Mm-hmm. And if they look a little scary to the average observer, they're not. They're not unhappy with that impression either. No. Uh, I read some excellent books by a guy named Dick Couch. Mm. Uh, he's a former SEAL. Well, I guess you're always a SEAL, but he was in Vietnam. Mm. And um, finishing. Well, the first one's Warrior Elite, which is about basic bud school. And then there's a one called Finishing School, which is about what they do after you be. Become officially a seal, but are not yet ready to go to a team. I mean, you know, you know the, the 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 amazingly difficult seal training, which has an attrition rate of eighty percent just to get through bud school. Yeah. Then there's a year of training after that, yeah. and then they put the trident on you, and then you're allowed to be called the new guy. Yeah. Then you go for another year of training, and then you're seen to be fit to be go to the the, the teams, and not. Get anybody killed the first time you go out. Right. Uh, it's it's an amazing process. That was all research that we did while. Chris and I were working on exit
0: plan. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, I've talked with uh, like Baldacci and he consults from time to time with, you know, some of these national or some of the government agencies. Uh, Vince Flynn, uh, from time to time, uh, you know, yeah. needs some info. So um, besides, you know, besides some SEALs that you may know or whatever, where do you do your research? Uh,
1: I read everything I can find on it. Uh, mm. We one of Chris's former bosses mm-hmm. was was also a SEAL. Mm-hmm. He retired now, mm-hmm. and so we spent a lot of time with him. And he, for instance, there is a SEAL reunion down at Fort Eustis, Florida, mm-hmm. that I went down, and there were there were guys there going back to the UDT teams from World War II. Oh yeah, and yeah. there was a Medal of Honor winner, Tom Norris, was there. I got to shake his hand, okay. and uh, just just a you, they put on a SEAL demonstration, which was amazingly interesting there's a wonderful museum down there mm-hmm. so all that gets sucked in and i'm not list, i'm not looking necessarily at facts i'm looking at the kind of stories these guys tell i'm looking at the way they 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 their approach a problem their character
0: um, their their decisiveness i mean these are not stupid guys these are not no, guys that no, we they pull are off not. that's right that's right and a lot of people don't th- understand the difference between a, a an enlisted you know a standard enlisted man and and as someone like a like a seal or a ranger i mean i mean they look at body type they look at genes they look at uh, uh longevity they look at uh everything you know medically scientifically physically um these guys are are the cream of the cream and um uh, a couple guys that I know, uh, I work locally here in, in uh, uh, Idaho, but I have a couple of SEALs. Uh, they're in their, well, they're 58, 62. But they come in all the time. You know, they call me Doc because I was a corpsman and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, oh, you were blah. a Corman? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I mean it's a it's a bond uh, it's a bond untypical uh, uh, of a of a standard enlisted enlisted guy, you know. Um, Yeah, and speaking speaking of your research and whatever, I want to I want to talk about something that uh, there's another conflict going on right now with uh, North Korea and your book with Pat Larkin, Red Phoenix. Yeah, did you? (laughs) Did you know what was gonna happen? I mean, come on, man! It, you know, it's guys like you and Andy Harp and um, you know Flynn. Uh, you guys, you guys have this innate ability to, to to write stuff that actually comes to fruition. I
1: mean, no, well, I, I, you know, again, to, Greg, to a point. You know, a I point. appreciate the compliment, but I'm really hoping I'm wrong. And uh, the beauty of uh, the beauty of Korea, and I think that may be one of the ones why I picked it as my first book to do on my own. I love it. Pat Larkin, you know, getting out from under Tom's wing, was that Hmm. the situation is so clear, and Mm -hmm. the tension is so great, Mm -hmm. that it just, all you have to do is knock the props out, Mm -hmm. and boom. Now, that book was actually written shortly after Kim Jong-il came to power.
0: Right, right.
1: And now, how many years later... (laughs) He's gone. Kim Jong-un is in, yep. but the basic dynamic is still there. That's I'm right. sorry, the North Koreans make good Klingons. That's yes. the only way to describe it. <laughs> they're they're just they're 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 a little strange on the north side of the border. Yeah.
0: Yes. And
1: and although the South Koreans can be pretty hardcore too.
0: Well, sure. Uh, sure. You
1: know, we we, we try to show uh, the South Korean character, which has so many amazing facets to it, the, the sheer determination right. of a lot of these people, right. and a lot of the, the, the you know, they, they live, uh, You know, one of, again, dumb luck. One of the first guys I talked to when I was working on Red Storm Rising happened to be an Army intelligence guy. He was out of the Army at that point, but he'd been stationed in Korea. Oh, gee, where were you stationed? Well, he was stationed, you know, and he, it turned out he was one of the guys that would go and count the bodies on the beach after the North Korean commandos tried to get ashore. For, you, for listeners who have never been to Korea, mm. if you go to, you go to any Korean beach, any Korean seaside location, mm. you're going to see bunkers. Mm. You're going to see barbed wire. Sure. You're going to see signs saying, mein, and although I, I don't know how you, s- you spell that, Hangul, but they're very serious about it because the North Koreans, once a month, will come down mm. and try and launch some sort of commando attack. Mm-hmm. And so they're living in a wartime state up there. Um, of course, no war was ever, you know, it's only an armistice, but the North Koreans are constantly doing this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and they've been doing this stuff since day one. I mean, the, the, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just like, uh, well, it's just like what's going on now with this uh, Islamic uh, fundamentalism, which really scares the hell out of me sometimes. Um, oh, it's, its you know, it's... I, it's I, 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 yeah, I mean you got you got to if you can do it, you, uh, I'd love to see you write something about uh, about that because that that's uh, that's something that's current and that's something that's going to be here for the next 20, ten twenty years.
1: Well, you're right about that. Although I the 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 fourth and fifth books that I did with uh, Warner Books,
0: mm. uh,
1: Day of Wrath and then enemy or Enemy Within and then Day of Wrath were about Islamic terrorism to a certain extent. As a matter of fact, Day of Wrath involved a Saudi millionaire yes. who was a member of the Saudi royal family yes. <laughs> and had embarked on a life of terrorism because of his, his religious beliefs. And mm-hmm. I could not get arrested with that book when it came out.
0: <laughs> okay?
1: And we actually we ran across the name Osama bin Laden back then because he was he was known within terrorist circles when we did our research we found out that this guy was out there doing his thing hmm. and but we changed the name because we also wanted to give him a slightly different persona we wanted to make him more accepted by the west and he was working from the inside rather than being completely on the outside living in a cave yeah. and I wish we'd used the name properly. We probably would have, wouldn't have offended him any more than he was already. Mm. Uh, <laughs> no, in a way, one of the one of the problems I've got with writing in this genre is that I have to find a situation that will not change for a year, maybe a year and a half or more, because, God forbid, I start writing and then they actually go to war or they actually resolve the issue and then i don't have anything more to write about (laughs) so it's 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 not a foot race because you can't you know i'm not i'm not i'm not a long distance runner i'm certainly not a sprinter but we've got to get this stuff done while the situation is stable then get it out the door and after that anything that happens is inshallah
0: (laughs) (laughs) well said well said yeah (laughs) Uh, Jeez. well i um Well, look at Red Phoenix was great. Uh, South Korea has always been um, an interest of mine, especially at the time when I served. You know, blah blah blah. Um, My dad used to always talk about the uh, um, the uh, Korean. uh, What what were they? What are they? The Rock Koreans. Rock. Rock Rock Marines. Yeah. Yeah. Tough sons of guns. That was
1: appropriate term. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Countries. Yeah, countries a little rocky. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, um, I want to get into uh, – I've got a couple more minutes here, Larry. I'd like to um, get into your head a little bit uh, for our listeners. I'd like you to to tell us – I mean, we all know you, you served as a uh, uh, Navy officer. Um, you were in the reserve. You put in, what, eight, ten years or something when it was all said and done? Or? I
1: put in six years active and yeah. a year-and-a-half reserve. There you go. And- and i was i had the choice of either getting promoted to commander yeah. or going with my book career yeah. and they uh one of the interesting things about the reserve is they don't pay you after you're promoted to commander because oh. you've got so much time in that they know you'll keep coming so eventually you get retirement benefits really <laughs> and and i said yeah work for free and, and believe me when you get to be a commander they make you work it's oh. none of this one weekend, a, a month jazz, and, and and the books were more fun. Sorry, I I made a choice.
0: No, good choice, Larry.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um,
0: <laughs> are you married? Do You have kids? Family?
1: Yeah, I've got. I've, got, I've been. Uh, my wife and I will celebrate our thirtieth anniversary this year.
0: Hey, me too.
1: I have, I, I've yeah. I two wonderful. Well, we have another parallel that's interesting. I had an uncle in the Air Force. Yeah. Who you know did that that same thing that yours did for yeah. you. So. Yeah. Anyways, hmm. uh, I've got two wonderful girls. Hmm. One's one's working uh as a as a psychologist and the other's studying up in up in Connecticut. So they're Oh. They're, they're both thank thank God they're both smarter than I was. They're yeah. getting better grades than I was.
0: <laughs> WestCon, so, UConn, Um in
1: Connecticut she,
0: uh Wesleyan. Oh, Wesleyan. No way. Wow. Yeah, no, I she, started,
1: she started at Con. Oh, okay.
0: College, okay. And
1: yeah. then went to to Wesleyan. Crazy. And uh She's studying the classics, and I'm like, I couldn't be be, be prouder. I don't know who needs to learn ancient Latin or ancient (laughs) Roman anymore, but I guess they call it Latin.
0: It's still Latin, yeah. I was I was talking to Lisa Gardner last week, and um, she, uh, you know, she started writing romance novels and then went to thriller, you know, and she she's like insane now. You know, this beautiful blue eyed brunette is writing uh, all this. crazy stuff. But, uh, yeah, she started out one way, went to another, um, uh, which was pretty funny to see. And, um, and I'm glad you're sticking with your, with your, uh, with your heart and soul. Um, you know, Larry, I, I had a good time, uh, with you. I, um, I like the way you write, uh because, uh, you know, I read a lot of authors, and if I can't get through the first couple of paragraphs, it's like, or you know, at least a chapter to forget about it. But you, you like other very well-known um, writers uh, today, have uh, have this innate ability, and the way I see it, of of, of of building these pictures that you can actually put together. And boy, that really helps me, especially when your books are so involved. Um, I, I, I really like what you're doing, man. I mean Well thank you. Yeah, yeah. You do well. <laughs> you, do, you do well. Boy, oh boy. Well, listen, uh, Larry, you know, look at we've got maybe a minute. Um anything uh what do you like to do for fun? I mean oh, come on man. do, 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 do you golf? Well, after, do you play ping pong? I mean what do you what do you do?
1: Well, some call it golf, others call it agriculture. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I I after wargaming became my business, uh, I, I took up cooking as a hobby. I love Asian cooking. Oh, uh, far out! And uh, I'm not that, not that good at it, but I, I keep trying. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's I uh, I ship models. I love to go downstairs and carve on on things and build really? little ship models. My, my my office is covered with. With those airplanes as well. Oh, that's Any, cool. Anything, that, anything that's made out of plastic, I've built probably somewhere mm. along
0: the line. Remember those, remember the uh, the uh, Gemini kits that you can get for a dime in the in the 60s? Oh, geez. Remember that? Oh. You, oh. You'd, you'd, get, you'd read the magazine. It's like, Daddy, can I have a dime? And you'd tape the dime to it, and you'd send it in, and then you get this this cool model of... Cereal boxes. There yeah. you
1: get the cut-off yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the cereal boxes. Yeah, oh, yeah, I did all that. Oh, me I too. I did all that. Oh,
0: that was fun. That <laughs> was fun. It was Fun. And it wasn't
1: just the glue fumes
0: either. It was it was genuinely rewarding. <laughs> I love it. Well, Larry, um, hey, this has been fun, man. I uh, I appreciate your time. Um, I want to uh, say thank you to NPR and uh, KISU staff manager, Jamin Anderson, and um, on behalf of the Marsh Public Library, this is Greg Rasso thanking um, uh, one of the hottest uh, techno thriller military writers of today, Larry Bond. Um, Larry, um, your book, Exit Plan. Um, I have to admit, I read it fairly quickly uh, in three weeks because I've got four other books going. I love the heck out of it, man. Um, I think it's one of your better books. Uh, but, but, ladies and gentlemen, um, go out and buy Red Dragon Rising. <laughs> I mean, um, fantastic book as well as Exit Plan. And uh, Larry, where can we find your stuff?
1: Well, it's. Uh... It's on all the big booksellers, of course, and, sure. and now Kindle. We're, we're even working on getting some of my earlier stuff onto Kindle. Good, written before that things like that existed. But uh, yeah, it's all there. Come and on, uh, right. like I say, the uh, exit plan is coming out in May, April, May eighth, I think. And red, red F- Ra- uh, the, the the Red Dragon Rising number three came out at the beginning of uh, January. Yeah, yeah, so that's there.
0: Great series, folks. And uh, Larry, I hope uh, I hope uh, Red Phoenix goes on Kindle. I'd like to. Uh uh, I'd like to I can tell that. you
1: the story about that after we get off the air, but uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's an interesting comment on our times.
0: Huh. Well, damn it. Let's Legacy get, issues. Let's get you on the air again next time.
1: <laughs> I'd love to. All right. Well, it's let, let's let's, been a lot of fun.
0: It has. It has. Let's say goodbye to our audience right now. You hang on. And, uh, well, folks, you know what to do. Keep reading and have fun. This is Greg Grasso. Thank you.